All right, everybody, welcome to the 20, February 21st edition of Cascadian Views. Um, I've got Dan and Chris here. I'm a little out of practice, as you could notice from that intro. Um, we had a hell of a storm last week, just absolutely ridiculous. And we were not the only ones. Um, Texas is completely fucked right now. <laughs> They're mm -hmm. leading pretty much all the news on this, but it just want to point out that Iowa was seeing temperatures that were like 30 and 40 below. That is ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. yeah um, Pol uh, polar inversion, I guess, or whatever that's called. Yeah, so from my understanding, the um, the Gulf Stream, or not Gulf Stream, excuse me, the, what's the term? The jet stream. Uh, dipped down pretty low south, um, and then more or less dissipated in strength on uh, a large portion of it. And this allowed first, uh, like, general sucking of polar air down south, and then let it disperse. And the country as a whole was absolutely walloped. I mean, I'm pretty sure, looking at these maps, that the only states that weren't directly affected in some way were like the majority of california and florida and everybody else saw significantly colder temperatures okay i was going to leave yeah, that open for yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah like like you were saying it's been power outages all over the place uh, i guess the texas grid was completely overwhelmed and so texas does not have one safe. grid um yeah i i did a very deep dive <laughs> just to figure out what was going on um, mm -hmm. Texas actually is covered uh, by three different grids, at least in part. Um, okay. Its main one is, I believe the name is ERCOT, um, which covers like 80% of the Texas um, area, basically. That's the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. It was a, uh, or is, I shouldn't say was, although I do imagine there's going to be some changes there. Um, it's an ISO, it's an independent, uh, electrical grid manufacturer. Most other places generally have, um, the people overseeing the grid are either a state agency or a company that's been chartered by the state. Um, in Texas, they kind of get away with that and they just have this, this ISO system there. Um, a couple other states have it as well. Um, they... They were heavily reliant on natural gas as their primary driver of electricity. And unlike other states, Texas did not uh, have any real capacity to store natural gas at their natural gas power plants. Texas produces a vast majority, uh, or not a vast majority, but a vast amount of natural gas. Uh, and they were just used to taking it directly from them through pipelines um, in the sense that the natural gas power plants were directly fed uh, from the, the gas pipeline system. During the worst of the, the cold snap, uh, it took many, many of these gas, uh, gas wells offline. Just the cold did not allow the machinery to function. Uh, metal in particular tends to change sizes during the stream temperature uh, events cool it down the metal's going to shrink if things don't quite line up right there's going to be problems they lost i i think i was reading something about uh like 70 percent of their natural gas pumping capacity and that just simply did not have enough pressure or gas in in the pipeline to power these power plants that got down there uh which seems to be the the main majority of it the parts of texas that are covered under the Southwest interconnect as well as I forget the name of the other interconnect but it um, covers quite a few states including Oklahoma 100% just the north and it covers a, a part of North Texas those grids seem to do okay um, they were able to rely on other power generation types um, but Texas's main grid just absolutely buckled under the stress they can produce the power and they couldn't get the power from other interconnects other grids because everybody was under stress um up here in portland right. we, we lost a bunch of power it was not for those structural issues really it was because 
trees came down. They froze and <laughs> they they fell over. I think PG&E was saying that they had 9,000 separate like line breaks in the Portland area. Um going around trying to fix those up. That's fortunately a much easier fix than, you know, not having stuff to make power. But uh, it's still taking them a terribly long time. I mean, we were talking a bit about it before the show, but as of today, uh, a week later, 38,000 people in the Portland metro are without power. Like nearly 40,000 people. Governor's sending around the National Guard to make sure people are still alive. In houses that haven't had power since then. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, some of the stories that have come out just been absolute heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big drivers of damage in Texas is not necessarily um, the cold itself, but frozen pipes, which are causing homes to flood, uh, just hundreds of thousands of homes to flood at this point uh, in Texas. When you combine those zero, negative five degree temperatures in a place that doesn't really have insulation in their house because they're more worried about the overly hot summers than they are about, you know, a frozen winter. It, it very rarely snows, at least in the parts of Texas that, you know, you see big concentrations of people living, Houston or Dallas or Austin. These are places that are, are very uh, subtropical, I'd want to say. They're, they're mm-hmm. Gulf Coast cities in large cases. Dallas, not so much, but, you know, it's semi-arid plains uh, in the deep south, basically close to a desert um, with a little bit of ground cover in plant life, but, you know, very dry. These sorts of places are not used to dealing with these immense uh, winter weather conditions. And frankly, neither is Portland, just to be honest. This was our first snow this year. We had a few flakes, but nothing stuck. This was the first time we had snow on the ground. And it was a wallop. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very temperate climate, mostly in the upper upper northwest. So it's... It is unusual. You know, I would say you know, here in Bellingham, more often than not, more I would say more winters than not, we actually don't have snow at all. You know, some of that's just, you know, warm air coming off the Pacific Ocean. But yeah, this is a lot of different different climate coming through. Yeah. Um, and I focused on Texas there not just because they seem to be the hardest hit area, but also because um well, there's been a lot of news coming out of there. I guess the biggest one is is Ted Cruz ran away to Mexico while his state's residents were freezing to death and having their homes destroyed by water. Um, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, jetted off to Cancun with his family. Uh, it was figured out by the internet pretty quickly. I do have to say, it was not figured out by, like, actual reporters. It was figured out by, you know, people on Reddit, if I remember right. Yeah, it was just rando users, I think, you know, yeah. saying, hey, does this guy at the airport look like Ted Cruz to you? Like, oh, hey, that lady with him sure looks like Wendy Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ted Cruz has done, you know, just a stand-up job of protecting his honor by blaming the whole thing on his daughters. <laughs> Manly dude. And also yeah. serially lying about each step of it, like... Well, it was because of this, and then, like, something comes out. <laughs> yeah, it's been really just a, a master class in who Ted Cruz is, <laughs> because this is super dumb. <laughs> um, Democrats in both the House and the Senate did not really waste any time. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went to Texas to... Uh, unveil her bill to benefit the residents of Texas uh, and bail them out of this disaster. She exhibited that uh, across the state. She's going to push to pass it. She really went for the jugular on, on Cruz on this one. I was very impressed to see that. We'll see if anything comes out of it, but it was a good effort. Yeah. I mean, it's probably one of the most effective dunks in Congress that you can do is just slamming on Ted Cruz. He's just kind of a vile person all around. So if you can get the hits in, you know, it'll, Mm -hmm. there's good that you can do. (laughs) 
Did you guys uh, see the link to the mayor of the Texas town that I posted in the group? Yeah. Yes. Uh, the one who who said if you expect the you know government and utility companies that they owe you anything, you need to you know get to a real country or something. Um, I'm paraphrasing there. From getting yeah. electricity from the power company that you pay—that's socialism. Yeah, uh, saying that they don't owe you anything, motherfucker. You pay for your power. They do, in fact, owe it to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, he. It's, uh... What are you saying, Chris? I'm just saying, yeah, it's it's remarkable all in. I mean, there's like him, there's Cruz, there's the governor who basically came out and said that it was the Green New Deal that did it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, that makes sense. Texas Republicans are remarkable. Uh, yeah, Texas's wind and solar capacity did drop during this, but not by anywhere near as much as their natural gas uh, power output dropped. There were some problems with frozen up windmills and whatnot. Also, in states that get cold, there are solutions to that. You know, they use their own power to run heaters in the windmills in states that experience actual cold winters. The reason they weren't in Texas is because it's Texas. Um, but even so, even without that, uh, more capacity uh, proportionally of electricity for both solar and wind managed to stay up in Texas. Their natural gas, which accounted for like two-thirds of the power on their grid, was what absolutely tailed off. Um, let's see. Uh, speaking of... Uh, I guess, war on the GOP. We're not the only one declaring war on the GOP. The GOP is doing a fine job of declaring war on itself. Uh, Chris, you posted the link, so I'm, well, the topic, so I'm assuming you have a bit more on this, but I just want to add that I'm, I'm guessing what kicked this off was McConnell's op-ed in the Wall Street Journal last weekend. Is that, is that yeah. your feel of it, too? Well, yeah, that, and I mean, at, at the same time, Nikki Haley said something that was really sort of as mildly critical as you can get and still be critical, and <laughs> then decided that she would go and see Trump, who promptly just slapped her in the face about it, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think what Trump actually said explicitly was that he was going to go after McConnell and any candidates that McConnell was supporting. So mm -hmm. that is pretty civil war. Also called um, on the GOP to replace him. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, I'm not sure it was in great shape anyway, but I would say that um, Haley's path toward the nomination just got <laughs> extremely narrow. Yeah, I'm, uh, she's got to be one of those people that's relying on something causing Trump's support to collapse, whether he ends up in prison or what. But, I don't know if that right. would cause his support to collapse, though, either. Yeah, unfortunately, you're right. But, I mean, that's the closest thing I can think of. Just some complete dis crediting otherwise i mean what are these people gonna do i don't think there's anything left that would discredit i mean he could literally accept asylum in russia and leave tomorrow and i think he's still gonna have a grip on like 30 percent of the country mm -hmm. yeah i'm yeah. i'm not sure what mitch mcconnell has been thinking i mean he possibly had the kill shot and decided not to take it and he is never going to get another one <laughs> Mm -hmm. I, I think McConnell's yeah. just assuming it's going to go away. That if you give right. it enough time, I mean, it'll... Has he been here the last four years? Yeah. <sighs> I mean, maybe the bet is that he's going to stroke out. I mean, that's not a terrible bet. On the other hand, his parents both live to be pretty elderly, so they could easily be stuck with him for another, you know, 15 years or more. Yeah. I'm yeah. and then meanwhile, um, you know, McCarthy went down there and right basically immediately after impeachment 
went down there and kissed the ring. Uh, Scalise was just down there and then came back saying that Trump doesn't really bear all that much responsibility for the Capitol riot. There are lots of people who bear responsibility. <laughs> like, I'm not entirely convinced there is a civil war. I think it, it already ended, and <laughs> that party is a Trump party now. Like, if, if there's going to be a splinter party formed, it's going to have to be traditional Republicans going off on their own. Mm-hmm. And we did see an inkling of that. There's apparently quite a, a few Republicans, including um, a relatively well-known former House member and uh, 2016 independent conservative uh, presidential nominee, Evan McMullen, uh, looking to start a, a true center-right party. Mm-hmm. Think there's anything that comes out of that? I don't know who their audiences. I mean, I guess maybe they could capture some of the Republicans that have defected to the Democrats over the last four years, you know, try and, you know, take back some of the suburbs, but without the bulk of the Republican Party, you know, yeah, I, it's just a question of who they draw more from, whether they draw more from actual Republicans or they, you know, kind of siphon off all of these uh, folks that have defected to the Democrats. I do think there's a way it could work, but it it would have to work by failing first. So, I mean, <laughs> what I'm picturing is they will have to be willing to run knowing that the effect of them running is electing Democrats in order to eventually shock the Republican Party into some kind of actual reform like that that's the only way i could see this movement actually mm-hmm. succeeding um on the other hand if it kills off the right um for you know a few cycles here long enough that it becomes conventional wisdom they may end up having a trump card in there you know where they'll come back into the fold provided they get this this and this and, you know, if that's the only way that you win elections, maybe they actually move that rabid base. I, I don't know. I don't think it's likely, but it is the path I see to that actually winning. If they can demonstrate to the rest of the Republican Party that neither of them can win without them at the table, then, you know, they can make some demands and be heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... The only way that can happen is if they're actually willing to throw races <laughs> for a while, for one or, you know, not just one cycle, but a couple of cycles. They're willing to get in there and throw races to Democrats. Yeah. Um, and I assume they are. I mean, I know there are issues with some of the Lincoln Project's uh, management and, you know, leaders and whatnot, but. Those guys really did throw all in for Biden. I mean, there was no half-ass backing. There was no do it even though you don't like it. There was just full-throated endorsement. Right. Yep. Um, And, you know, we have Bill Kristol out there telling people, unironically, just vote for the Democrat. Just vote blue no matter who. That there is only one sane party in this country, and until that changes, does not matter who they are, vote for the guy with the D next to his name. That's Bill Crystal. That's the dude who, like, my entire life was the intellectual center of, like, the Republican elite. He, he was their wonky dude who they could throw out and show people that they had everything under control. And now he's telling people <laughs> that no matter what, just vote for the damn Democrat. Yeah, no, he was the brains of the George W. Bush administration, kind of in the background. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I mean, it's it's tough getting people to listen to him, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what it would take. So you know, hopefully, if they really are willing to completely screw over like the neo-fascist right. Uh, in order to, you know, make this work, then more power to them. But if they don't hold their guns on that, I really just don't see them having any leverage whatsoever, and it remains Trump's party. Exactly. 
Um, so I guess we'll move on from the figurative civil war to the literal civil war. Uh, there was a massive, massive injunction, uh, not injunction, excuse me. Um, what's the word I'm thinking of, Dan? Where they charged mm -hmm. indictment. There was a indictment. massive indictment in the, uh, the attempted coup in the Capitol. It was the largest uh, handed down at one time. I think, Chris, you might correct me in here. Did they get six or nine people at once? Nine. Nine? Okay. Yeah. Want to tell us more about that? Yeah, so what they indicted members of the Oath Keepers, which is, you know, one of these militia-type groups that has been out there for a while. And by earlier accounts, too, the Oath Keepers were kind of the people there who were, like, most organized, you know, most armed, most organized, had walkie-talkies communicating with each other were tied in with social media as they were there, like getting tips on various <laughs> things going on. Um, so they've basically been charged with conspiracy to, uh, I want to find the exact term, but conspiring to delay the certification of the presidential election. Okay. So that's pretty close to actual, you know, mm -hmm. charges of insurrection, <laughs> as close <laughs> as you get, I think. Yeah. Um, one of them I saw today is claiming that she was providing VIP security for the event and had liaisoned with the Secret Service beforehand. Um, yes. I don't know if that's going to save her, but that's what she's saying. Yeah, and I mean, that seems to be kind of her explanation for why they came up, you know, came with tactical gear and <laughs> preparing for a military assault. Um, because she was providing security, that's why. Uh, the Secret Service, strangely enough, has disavowed any knowledge of this. <laughs> I, uh, I think it would be more concerning if they said, yeah, we remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, right, oh, yeah. either one of the ways this could go is going to be, like, really, like, obviously, if she never talked to anyone in the Secret Service, then she is screwed. But if she did talk to someone in the Secret Service, we're all kind of screwed. Mm -hmm. um, do we know when the trials for you know these insurrection charges are supposed to start? Not like um, these specifically, but really any of them. Yeah, in general, I don't. It, these kinds of things do tend to have, you know, as you as you both know, have quite a lead time. So mm -hmm. I'd be sort of surprised if anything got going before like late summer or fall. Yeah, I think you're probably right at that. All right. So uh, I guess we'll turn to the Senate here because we have three news items from there. Uh, the first one is one we should have covered last week, but I was stuck in a frozen hotel in Gresham. Um, the impeachment verdict came in uh, last week. It was not unexpected, although the margins were a little bit bigger than I imagined that they were going to be. We got a fair number of Republicans, including one that I, I did not expect us to have at all. Um, picked up the senator from Louisiana. Uh, was that Cassidy or Kennedy? Which one? Cassidy. Cassidy. We picked up Cassidy. Cassidy's yeah. vote. Um, he initially voted that the trial was unconstitutional, I believe, and then somehow, through <laughs> for the course of the trial, changed his mind on that and uh, came down to vote to convict. Yeah, he and he his commentary on it actually was some really refreshing moral clarity. I mean, I think he put out a statement to it that was basically to the effect of, I went into the trial, I listened to the evidence, and I had to follow the Constitution, and he's guilty. So that's <laughs> how I voted. Which, <laughs> yep. You don't hear that very much, honestly. So, great. <laughs> the House impeachment managers actually got quite a bit of praise from... Uh, a lot of Republicans, even ones that voted ultimately to acquit, um, were were very liberal with their praise of the the House impeachment managers. I think they did a pretty good job. Um, I know Swalwell was heavily involved in that. Again, he was last time too. 
he he's really showing some good instincts on this impeachment trial, uh, both in the House and trying the case before the Senate. Um, really stepped into his own. I think he made a bit of a name for himself um, and came out of this looking pretty good and very competent, I have to say. Uh, so I expect you'll see more from Swalwell in the future. That might not have been his last presidential run. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We also got Murkowski and Collins and Romney. There were um, a few others. Let me actually pull up the vote here. Um, anybody stand out to you? The other surprise, I think, was Burr. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's leaving Congress. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, there so were other people who were leaving Congress and could have done the right thing, but didn't. <laughs> so, Portman, for instance. Still stands yeah. out. Mm -hmm. So we ended up getting a uh, seven Republicans total. Um, I could pull this up here. The Republicans who voted guilty were Richard Burr, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, Murkowski, Romney, Sass in Nebraska, and Pat Toomey. Uh, Toomey is also leaving Congress, doesn't have any worries about re-election. Collins and Murkowski, the vote probably helps them. Murkowski I'm a little unsure of just because the Republican Party in Alaska is very, very Trumpy and she will have to rely on Democratic support. The Democrats put up a real candidate. She may not get that. So it is a little bit of a risk for her. Um, mm -hmm. Sass, it is definitely a risk for, although one that he seems to honestly relish taking on. Um, he was censured by the Nebraska Republican Party, and he basically told them to go fuck themselves um, in, in nearly as many words. I believe is exactly uh, politics used to be about more than the weird worship of one dude. So <laughs> yeah. censure me if you want. Yeah, he literally used the word dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of refreshing. Uh, he did also point out that he got more votes in Nebraska than Trump did uh, in 2020 in that election. He outran Trump by like 30,000 votes. So. You know, maybe he has a card to play there, but I also think that's a risky vote for him. Uh, Cassidy in Louisiana, too. I think that's a, a risky vote for him. Uh, more mm -hmm. or less, all these people ended up being censured by their state parties. Um, the only one I know off the top of my head that didn't was Mitt Romney, who the Yukov Republican Party actually um, released a, a whole statement touting the fact that there are two different senators came to two different conclusions and how it showed the Republican Party was a big tent party and they've never been prouder. Um, which was yeah. which was a decent <laughs> change from literally every other Republican. <laughs> All the rest of them just completely trashed these guys. Sass, I mentioned, uh, had a whole video response being censured by the party where he told them he doesn't care. Um Collins basically can't be a Trumpy Republican in Maine, so it probably helps her that the Maine Republican Party hates her over this. Right. Uh, and like I said, Toomey and Burr aren't going to be here next year or next election, so they don't care. Uh, the other movement in Congress, uh, well, one of the other movements in Congress is Neera Tandon is coming under some fire. Manchin is not going to support her. Biden does not seem to care. Um, his statements all say that they're going to confirm her, which means I think he has some Republican votes for her. Um, if Manchin doesn't matter, then that, that really just has to mean that they have some Republican votes for her. Um, yeah. Either that or, or Biden's bluffing, but I think it's a little stupid to bluff over an OMB nomination. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're actually going to lose it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like save that for something important, maybe. Nobody's going to care who runs OMB in six months. Not a single person. I guarantee you could ask a hundred people on the street and maybe two will even know who the person is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's kind of a toss-up as to whether there are maybe three or four Republicans who are, you know, 
ready to cross the line or if there was more opposition than we know of and Manchin just wants to be the face of it because he gets extra points for defying Biden in West Virginia. So I guess I haven't seen when they're supposed to have a vote on it in on her in committee because you know they were having hearings a week and a half ago. So I would assume that they should be you know actually moving forward on that you know sooner rather than later. Politico yeah. has an article saying that um, there are people you know jockeying to replace Tandon in that nomination. Um, mm-hmm. They do lead that story though with the fact that the Biden White House is signaling both publicly and privately that it's not abandoning Tandon's nomination. Yeah. So, yeah, it seems like I have to think he has the votes. I have to think he's got some Republicans for this. Um, I don't know who they'd be, but I... otherwise, just cut and run, man. You are not going to lose any capital over replacing your OMB nomination. Oh, yeah. Nobody's going to care. Yeah. So I don't know why he would, you know, stick with this and and actually like go to the mat to save her unless he has the votes. Holy moly! What? I was just checking out predicted. I mean, if you want to make some money, she's got like. I guess the, the question is by March first. But yeah, if you want to buy some predicted contracts, you can buy Nira Tandon for two cents right now. That so. she'll be confirmed in the next eight days. Two cents that she would be confirmed by March 1st. That's would, eight which, days. Again, you get 98 cents or you get 98 bucks for every $2 you throw down. Yeah. So <laughs> they are heavily betting against her. But I mean, I think she's got better odds than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess we'll see. Uh, I don't know yeah, if they I get it done in the next week. $10 on that. Yeah. <laughs> I might too. Um, I'm not going to miss ten dollars if I lose, but the upside. Right. The the other wrinkle to the story about Mansion pulling this down is that people in Mansion's orbit in West Virginia are being uh, kind of vocal about the fact that he's just buying space to come to yes on the COVID relief bill. Um, that's been kind of the background of the story and really every piece I've seen published on it. So they're doing a very good job of communicating that out to people. If that's what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, if it's just people wish casting, I'm going to be kind of pissed about this. Um, yeah. But according to Democrats in Congress, Manchin is a yes on every part of the COVID relief bill, except the $15 an hour. Um, and they honestly think that, he's not even going to have to cast a vote on the $15 an hour part that they think that's going to be stripped out in reconciliation because it won't meet the 10 year budget neutral part. Uh, so hopefully that's all that's going on. Um, because Manchin did have a big, like this is too big moment for, uh, the COVID relief bill, he thought it was too expensive. There was a, a lot of talk that we were eventually going to get him back. And I, I guess we have on everything but the minimum wage. And he just needs to save face a little bit. Or at least that's what people are telling the media who you know are around Joe Manchin. I don't necessarily know if he needs that space, though. So if there's one thing Manchin has been really good at... It has been highlighting the communitarian aspects of bills. He, I, I know I've gone off on this tangent many, many times on the show, but he ran on the Affordable Care Act. It was the centerpiece of his platform in his reelection bid. The guy was a Democrat running in West Virginia in 2018 on the Affordable Care Act, and he won. Like he, he held meetings in every single coal town talking about. Uh, pre-existing conditions and what coal miners have to deal with and the legacy of black lung and how you know this is just all us pulling together he's been really really good at that i i think that the covid relief bill sells in the exact same way if he's able to do it i don't know if he needs to make space to you know accept this covid relief bill it is a direct benefit to a lot of people in a way that 
you know, they kind of intuitively understand if you're able to pitch it to him. And he is a great pitchman for West Virginia. Um, he's represented them in Congress for like 30 years. He was the state's governor for like eight. He nearly left his seat in the Senate to come back and run for governor again because the guy he picked to replace him changed parties to the Republican Party halfway through and he was just pissed as shit. Like, I I just... I don't think he's being difficult to be difficult or because he's not a Democrat. Um, I think he's overthinking it, really. I, if he sells it the same way he sold the Affordable Care Act, I don't think he needs any space for a COVID relief bill. He can just come to yes. And I'm still puzzled by his stance on the minimum wage issue because, I mean, presumably it doesn't affect coal miners, and maybe that's what he's thinking, but it affects Walmart workers. It affects it affects a lot of red state voters. A lot of West Virginia is extremely poorly served um, by a, a lot of it. It has the second worst Amazon delivery times in the country beyond a couple of counties and I think it's Wyoming or something. Um, it's, it's got the, the fewest federal highways per person, uh, miles of federal highway per person in the state. It's a lot of like really fucking rural uh, Appalachian, like I want to say hillbilly towns. I know that's probably kind of offensive, but yeah, just little things carved into the side of mountains that takes hours could get to. I, I honestly think if if Manchin's concerned about the $15 an hour at a real level and not just like a cultural or you know, virtue signaling level, it's got to be that it's going to be too expensive to deliver services to West Virginia and some of these people are just going to cut and run. You know, if Amazon decides they can't make their two-day prime delivery window in West Virginia and just don't offer it, that cuts back on people, especially when it's so rural as what I've mentioned. They can't get to a store or whatnot. The nearest Walmart is two miles away, or, or not two miles away, 20 miles away. You know, this sort of thing adds up. That's the only explanation I could come up with. I don't even know if it's accurate. Mm. I'm just doing a little bit of research. Uh, Trying to see if anybody's compiled a list of states with Walmarts per capita. <laughs> there someone has, too. Oh, wait, here. There is a density map of states versus Walmarts. New York and New Jersey are the least, probably because they have the most people. But uh, West Virginia has between 75 and 100,000 uh, people per Walmart in the state. And they are... They're definitely out there. They're at the same tier as, like, Nevada is. Whereas when you get down just next to them, Kentucky has one Walmart per 25,000 people. <laughs> They've got four times fewer Walmarts per population than Kentucky does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's a mountain state in the middle of nowhere with not that many roads going through it and whatnot. Um, that's my best guess is why Mansion doesn't want that. Things take so long in West Virginia that it, it might make it unprofitable. And by the way, that Wyoming case that I mentioned, that already is unprofitable. Um, Amazon just operates it as a loss leader so that they could keep their claim. But it, you know, a couple counties with, you know, 3,000 people in it is not the same as an entire state. So that's my best guess. Yeah. Well, and. That may be right. I this doesn't really help Manchin get elected, so he probably doesn't care. But <laughs> I'm most concerned for the National Party if they don't fully take advantage of this narrow window to actually reach out to these people who have been so economically left behind for so long, and who the Republicans are so good at harvesting the rage from that mm -hmm. to get them to vote against their own interests like I think the Democrats path forward with those people is really deliver something to them you know Absolutely. don't let the Republicans play this both sides are responsible for blah 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 mm. 
and Washington I, doesn't work. Support us. I do think that you know fifteen dollars an hour um, is a good good take home for that too. Like that's something people see. That's something people like instantly know when their paychecks go up and they're they're paid more. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Uh, let's see here. The, uh, the other news out of the Senate, and this will kind of blend into our, our local story here, um, is the COVID bill seems to be getting pretty close. Um, like we've just been talking about Manchin, his big hang up is the $15 an hour minimum wage in there. Um, but this, this bill seems like it's going to be passed. It's going to be passed through reconciliation. It's going to be passed without a single Republican vote. That, yeah, that's sum it up. Is, yep, the House is taking it up this week, and I would expect the Senate will be shortly thereafter. So, I think they probably have the full bill, maybe all the way past by maybe the first week in March, definitely by mid March. Mm-hmm. So, there is at least some signs of relief coming, and an awful lot that gets done with that. So. I mean, consider what, you know, the bill that's currently under consideration is double the size of the uh, ARRA, which was passed, you know, the first month or so. Gosh, did that get passed in February or did that take until like March, maybe? The Affordable Care Act? No, not the Affordable Care Act, the ARRA, the uh, American... Recovery, uh, American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, A R R A, A R R A. I want to say that it was signed in February. Okay, signed in February, so they got it done in the first month. But yeah, this is double the size of that, and involves more direct payments to individuals as opposed to a lot of the more indirect that was done with A R R A. So it's, I'd see it as a much bigger deal. Frankly, I think the economy was in more trouble in 2009 as well. So it's pretty fantastic that all this is going to get done Mm. with a much smaller majority. I think we're learning some lessons. Yeah, I I think so. (laughs) Reconciliation was always the way to go. But I guess there was the pretense of somehow looking like, you know, the sides could work together. But, I, I think yeah. that's actually important. Um, yeah. At least holding that open. The, the Republicans like thrive on that Washington that doesn't work. And when you mm-hmm. get into the mud and you're just throwing stuff back and forth, it's easy to paint this as a both sides thing. But when there's, there's one party that, you know, is consistently trying to work and, you know, not being a fool, not being taken advantage of, not getting rolled, but you know, always willing to make that offer. It makes it much easier to say that you're the adult in the room. Um, so I, I am in favor of that. Um, I don't expect anything to come of it literally ever. <laughs> At least making the effort, uh, I think, is important. Uh, just because it shows where our values are. Well, I think there are some voters also for whom that is important, and Democrats need those voters in order to win, generally mm-hmm. speaking. I mean, they're kind of like the, that last 2 or 3% that gets you a Joe Biden-sized victory as opposed to a John Kerry-sized loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Uh... Since we're talking about COVID relief bills, Dan, you were mentioning before the show that Washington has now passed the state COVID relief bill. That's right. As of this week, and it is going to Governor Inslee for signature, it's a $2 billion local COVID relief bill that the state legislature has passed and is headed to the governor's desk. Uh, Big portions of it are directly related to COVID logistics and administration like over half a billion, I think 600 million actually, is looking like it's been earmarked for everything related to vaccine administration and distribution, contract contact tracing, uh, more funding for testing, 
similar amount, again, just over $600 million for uh, the school system as uh, they resume in-person schooling, which is actually happening right now. There's uh, significant increases in in-person schooling around Washington State that has been stepping up in the last week and has been steadily expanding over the course of February. So schools are getting extra funding and relief for that in the form of, again, you know, just, you know, three-fifths of a billion dollars on that front. <laughs> uh, another $365 million, it says here, has been uh, earmarked for rental assistance and helping uh, tenants and landlords that have been impacted by the pandemic. Uh, another quarter billion for small business assistant grants. Uh, $70 million helping people who have kind of fallen through the cracks of uh, the system, you know, in federal aid. So specifically targeting undocumented immigrants who, of course, mm. wouldn't get anything from things like – I think they're excluded from unemployment relief ordinarily. And, of course, they also wouldn't get anything in terms of an income tax relief as well, the way most of us have – uh, and then another $50 million for uh, child care uh, businesses and another $26 million for uh, direct food assistance to individuals and households. So a lot of good stuff in here. Uh, again, governments at all levels, you know, doing what they can. This is a, uh, as we all know, it's been a massive crisis for a full year now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, you know, I was just thinking we're now less than a month from the anniversary of when all the schools started shutting down. And, and we went into lockdown. In yeah. yeah. The, it first started seeming real to me. The state government here closed down bars and restaurants and uh, issued a stay-at-home order, I believe, March 15th. Yep. So, yeah, less than a month away. Something I was curious about the Washington bill, Dan, does the state have that money? Does the state have the money? Yeah, uh, I mean, they've got to come up from. They've still they have to come up with it from somewhere. They've got they're still required to balance their budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of this I would expect is probably being directed from uh, anticipated federal relief monies that are coming through to the state from the federal uh, COVID bills. Um, but you know, of course, there's always the possibility of shuffling around discretionary funds in the state tends to have a pretty decent sized budget so okay i I was just a little bit curious because i imagined washington has been hit financially harder much more than other states just because you guys are so heavily reliant on a sales tax and with people not going out and shopping so much that sales tax doesn't seem like it would really be bringing in nearly as much money whereas you know states that operate on an income tax primary system People are still working, even if they're working from home and whatnot. That money's still coming in. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. I'm just looking real quick to see how much this represents of just the overall operating budget. Let's see here. I'm not finding that fast and dirty. Let's see. Uh, and Governor Inslee's 2021 uh, budget proposal is out. I don't know if that would be the best way. pretty close relation to... Okay, so the Omnibus Operating Budget Fund subject to Outlook uh, uh, total up to $57,849 million. So that's $57 billion. Yeah, okay. So this would represent about... Five percent of that, yeah, a little under. Um, and then there's there's also a more budget that's the total budgeted, the ones not subject to, to Outlook or whatnot, and that brings you in at 117 million dollars for the 2021 to 2023 budget period. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Sure. And I guess you guys also, uh, like, by law, for every two-year budget period, have to transfer 1% of general state revenue to a budget stabilization account? That seems yeah. actually kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, rainy day funds are you know, totally mm-hmm. a thing, for especially for years like this. 
So, yeah. And the governor is planning um, an additional 1% uh, stabilization account transfer this cycle as well, just for the hell of it, because they have the money. So I guess you're not doing too bad. Yeah. I mean, it's the state has continued to grow by leaps and bounds in terms of economy and uh, development and population. It's just a matter of uh, apportioning it in a way that is equitable. Ooh, man. Uh, but holy crap, it's actually going to take quite a hit. Uh, sorry, this is the first time I, I've dived into your budget. Um, mm -hmm. So one of the things I want to mention is for the 2019 to 2021 biennium, I guess you guys do your budgets every two years instead of every year, the total enacted budget was $53 billion, um, in terms of expenditures. That's how much money the, the state was laying out. It was $53 billion. Um, the ending balance of uh, like the general fund and whatnot at the end of that one had been two billion four hundred seventy-eight uh, million. They're projecting at the end of this budget biennium that will be down to four hundred sixty-two million. So you guys are losing like four fifths of the um, the bucket that is the GFS, the ELTA, the OPA, and the WEI. EIA, uh, which is, I guess, your slush funds for various things, the general fund, and then uh, for other departments as well. So it looks like you guys are dipping into that pretty far. Yeah. And, you know, that's what it's for. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. All right. Well, that uh, just about wraps it up. Um, Anything else you guys wanted to mention? I can't think of anything. Chris, you? No. Okay. Well, then we have cleared another week. Uh, I hope you guys stay safe out there and make sure things are, are okay. I know for the most part, you guys have avoided the worst of it. I wish I were farther north for some reason. I guess you guys can mm -hmm. get quite as much ice and snow as we did. Yeah, no, <laughs> nice couple days of snow, and then it melted off, and uh, back to fairly normal Washington winter. Yeah, we woke up to two inches of ice covering everything, and it's bloating trees, so. Oof, yeah. And you know, trees explode when they get cold. I had... I, I think I knew that yes. academically in the back of my mind, but I had never like <laughs> seen one blow up. Yeah, it was almost like an action movie or something. A huge crack, they split down the middle and then fall in two different directions. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, have a good week, guys. All right. You too. Bye. Yeah, you too. <laughs>